Chapter 2 As cancer care coordinator, Kate Littleton delivered bad news for a living. In five years at the job, she'd given hundreds of people what was arguably the worst news of their lives, and in five years, it hadn't got any easier. Today's appointment was no exception. When the doctor explained to Alice Stanhope that she had cancer, it was almost as though she didn't hear. A severe case of denial, most likely, which was why they asked patients to bring a support person to appointments, so they could hear what the patient could not. There wasn't anyone, Alice had said. Was that possible? In five years at Stanford Healthcare, Kate had never heard this. Most patients were surrounded by people, in chemotherapy, in post-op. Usually Kate's problem was getting them all to leave so the patient could rest. The ideal scenario, in Kate's experience, was for patients to have one primary support person. There was something about pairs, the yin and the yang of it. When one fell apart, the other was strong. When one zoned out, the other would listen. Yet Alice Stanhope didn't have a single person she felt she could nominate to walk beside her in what was going to be the hardest journey of her life. Which meant that Kate would have to do her job a little better than usual. Kate knew there was one thing that a patient needed more than a doctor, more than a nurse, even more than medicine, and that was a mother. Someone to reassure them, to fluff their pillows, to give them that look of certainty that said they were in good hands. Someone to fight for them. At the age of nine, after an emergency appendectomy, Kate had learned this firsthand. Her father, widowed when Kate was just a toddler, had visited her every night, but it was Anne, Kate's nurse with the short brown hair and thick ankles, who'd cuddled her before she fell asleep. It was Anne who shooed the younger nurses out of her room and wheeled in the old TV and VCR along with kids' movies she'd rented at Blockbuster on her way to her shift. It was Anne who'd told her that under no circumstances was she to eat her vegetables. For those two weeks, Kate had had a mother. Now Kate strived to be that mother for her patients. Lunch? Kate looked up from her desk. Dr. Brooks, Chris, stood in the doorway. He was so tall his head almost brushed the top of the doorframe. His top button was undone, and his skin had a bluish tinge. Lunch? Kate glanced at her watch. It's not even 11 a.m. When you are called into surgery at 3 a.m., lunchtime is whenever you have a break, he said. Oh, I managed to get Alice Stanhope's surgery scheduled for Monday. Perfect. Kate reached for a pen. What time? First up, 8 a.m. Kate wrote the details on her desk calendar. Alice Stanhope, bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy. The one thing Kate couldn't get used to was that you couldn't see the cancer. Alice, in particular, looked well. Blondish and slim, with short, tousled hair, she was the picture of Meg Ryan back in her heyday. The image of health. It was always a shock to learn that someone like that had cancer. Chris leaned against the doorframe. What do you think was up with Alice's daughter? What did she say, that she isn't like a normal teenager? I wondered that myself, Kate said. Who knows, some kind of special needs, maybe? Geez, I hope not, he said, and they both drifted into silence for a moment. Eventually, Chris shook his head. Well, 
We'll just have to take extra good care of her mother, won't we? Sometimes Kate loved Chris Brooks. All right, he said. I guess I'll get one of those plastic salads from the cafeteria. Those salads are probably causing the cancer that we treat here, you know. We're probably keeping ourselves in business. When he had drifted off down the corridor, Kate listened to her voicemail. She had two messages, the first from an anxious middle-aged woman wanting information about her newly diagnosed breast cancer, the second from David, who had seen cheap fares to Cancun and thought it was high time for a second honeymoon. Or, what do they call them nowadays, he'd added, a baby moon? Kate's eyes drifted back to her desk calendar, specifically to the post-it on the bottom of tomorrow's date. Twelve weeks. She'd written it eleven weeks and two days earlier when she'd seen the two pink lines appear on the pregnancy test she'd promised her for the